Welcome to the Global Medical Device Podcast, where today's brightest minds in the medical device industry go to get their most useful and actionable insider knowledge direct from some of the world's leading medical device experts and companies. excited to tell you about the topic is cybersecurity. Well, I know it's one of those things like maybe it applies to you, maybe it doesn't. But nonetheless, there's a lot of publicity. There's a lot of stories about this, a lot of different angles. For example, recently, the National Institute of Standards and Technology put out a call for position papers on the topic. FDA has come out with a position paper on the topic. So joining me on this episode of the Global Medical Device Podcast is Mike Drews with Vascular Sciences. And we unpack cybersecurity a little bit. We even propose some thoughts and ideas on ways to potentially even eliminate the idea of cybersecurity from your medical device. So enjoy this episode of the Global Medical Device Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Global Medical Device Podcast. This is your host and founder at Greenlight Guru, John Spear. Joining me today is familiar voice and should be familiar face on the Global Medical Device Podcast uh, since we've added video is Mike Drews from Vascular Sciences. So Mike, welcome. Thank you, John. Lately, there was an article, I think you sent it to me the other day, and it was intriguing to me. I'll just read the title and then we'll dive into the topic. But the title of the article states, FDA lays out device cybersecurity efforts as feds look to implement the Biden executive order. And I guess the first question that comes to mind, not to sound obvious here, but why is cybersecurity such a hot topic now? It's a great question, John. And as always, thanks for the opportunity to talk about this important topic with you and your audience today. John, let's actually take a half a step back even from that question and ask a question that I sometimes get from some of my customers in this area. Why is FDA concerned about cybersecurity? Is it within even FDA's authority to be concerned about cybersecurity? Cybersecurity, John, is a very broad topic. And I think like a lot of the other topics that we talk about, it's important not to overgeneralize. So let me give you a couple of quick examples, John, when it comes to identity theft. In other words, if somebody hacks into a software as a medical device or even a physical device that has some personal information like credit card information, do you think that is or should be a concern to the FDA, John? I'm going to say knee-jerk was no. And I was thinking about it before I knee-jerk said no, but I say no. I don't see where that's an FDA matter of concern. I agree with you, John. That is absolutely not an FDA matter of concern, nor should it be when it comes to cybersecurity for identity theft. How about issues related to patient privacy? For example, if somebody hacks into a device and gets certain confidential, I don't mean financial information, but for example, your electronic medical record, do you think that is or should be a concern to the FDA, John? So we're talking PHI, patient health information or personal health information. Correct. And it's definitely more of a HIPAA concern. And I, if memory serves, HIPAA is not under FDA umbrella. I think it's under HHS. So I'm going to go with no on that one as well. Right again, John, that is a HIPAA concern. That is not an FDA concern. How about finally, when we get to the issues of cybersecurity, when they relate to the safety and efficacy of the device? And let's parse that a little bit further. I can't really think of too many examples where somebody would want to affect the efficacy of the device via cybersecurity. But when it comes to safety, that is a potential concern of the FDA. Would you agree, John? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that safety and efficacy of medical devices is at least a paraphrase of part of the FDA CDRH mission, right? That's exactly right. So cybersecurity, specifically when it comes to safety, that to me is no different than biocompatibility or electrical 
electrical safety or anything like that. So if there's a cybersecurity concern that could affect the safety of the device, that is something that FDA could and should be, quite frankly, concerned about. And as responsible medical device developers, that's something that we also should be concerned about as well. Do you think your original question, John, is why is cybersecurity such a a hot topic today? You mentioned the politics, the, the Biden initiative. Well, I would argue that, John, that cybersecurity has been a concern for a very long time. But do you think of an example that really kind of popularized this idea of somebody hacking into medical devices in the past? In other words, what brought this to a lot of people's attention, not just in the medical device community, but in the broader community? Well, I don't know if this is the one you were fishing for, but one story that comes to mind on this topic, I think it was in the category urban legend for the longest time until I actually met the person who was connected to the guy that did it. But insulin pumps, a programmable insulin pump, there was uh, this story about this person who figured out, not a doctor, knowledgeable about diabetes and the disease state. As the story goes, or at least my memory of the story, this person's child was prescribed a particular insulin pump. Well, this person also was a software developer and figured out a backdoor in a way to basically hack the insulin pump to reprogram it and change the therapy that was prescribed to his child. So that's a particular story that comes to my mind on this topic. So was there another one that you were thinking of? So I am familiar with several anecdotal examples like the one that you just described, but the one that I was thinking of, John, that really popularized this, do you remember the old TV show on Showtime called Homeland? Oh yeah, sure. Do you remember there was a particular episode where somebody hacked into the vice president of the United States pacemaker? (laughs) Yes, now I do. That was back, I looked this up prior to our conversation today, John, that was back in 2013. So almost a decade ago, that was on the TV. So cybersecurity, specifically cybersecurity when it comes to safety of medical devices. And in this particular case, we're not talking about an SAMD or an app or something like that. We're talking about an implantable device like a pacemaker or you just mentioned an insulin pump. This is not a new idea. This has been going around for a long time. And the reason why I use that Showtime Homeland TV show as an example, John, is because it's usually Usually when things show up in the popular press, like in the television, that's when things really capture people's attention. For example, you know, back in the day, you did a lot of work with catheters and cardiology. Do you remember why back in the 1970s, angioplasty became popular? It had nothing to do with physicians touting the procedure. I I I don't know know if you knew this story, John, but John Abley, the co-founder of Boston Scientific, likes to tell this story. Johnny Carson, the TV personality, was one of the first people to get an angioplasty, and sometime later, he got onto the television and talked about it. And that is really what caused a lot of people to go to their doctors and say, hey, I want the Johnny Carson procedure. So (laughs) that's why I mentioned the Showtime episode. It's, you know, people talk about getting a physician champion, for example, to talk about your new medical device. Well, a physician champion at a conference is not nearly as valuable as a Hollywood champion who gets on the TV and, you know, talks about your device or something. But that's a topic of a different... Well, interestingly, I think, don't quote me on that, but I think the show Homeland recently found its way into Netflix. So I wonder if that's now had a second wave of it. 
Well, perhaps so. But for what it's worth, I did look it up. And I believe that particular episode goes back to 2013, yeah. which is uh, almost a decade ago from when we we're making this recording today. Anyway, so those are some of the reasons why I think cybersecurity is important. But we need to limit the context of cybersecurity, at least from the FDA's perspective, to those aspects specifically related to the safety of a device. So it does not include identity theft issues. It does not include patient privacy issues. Those are clearly important issues, right. but not from the perspective of the FDA. Does well, that make sense, John? It does. And I think as a company, medical device company who has products that were, you know, cybersecurity is an important aspect, you know, first and foremost, I think it makes good business sense to make sure you're protecting financial details, aspects of your product. I think it makes a great sense as well from a, a patient privacy perspective or from a HIPAA point of view, in addition to the device safety. And I don't know if you know this answer, and I'm not trying to put you on the spot here, but I'm curious. I wonder if, you know, even though the articles that I reviewed on this topic were FDA centric, is there, are there equal interests or is the magnitude of this topic on par with other areas like HHS and other parts of the government, not just FDA? I'm just curious. I don't know if you happen to know that. Yeah, that's a great question, John. Unfortunately, my experience and my expertise yeah. is pretty limited to medical product applications and specifically as they relate to FDA. So I'm not really an expert when it comes to other aspects of cybersecurity. But here's the regulatory metaphor that I would share, John, because as you know, from our many conversations in the past, I'm a big fan of using regulatory logic, as I like mm -hmm. to call it, and try to understand the intent of the regulation rather than the letter of the regulation itself. So the metaphor that I would use here is a topic that you and I talked about in a podcast a few months ago, and that is multifunction devices. Yes. In other words, if you have a device, for example, where a portion of the device is a FDA regulated medical device and another portion of the same device is not an FDA regulated medical device. You remember we had this conversation months yep. ago, John? Yep. So cybersecurity is exactly the same way. As I said earlier, there are a number of different important aspects of cybersecurity that are important, but only those aspects of cybersecurity that are important from medical device safety perspective, I think are fair game for the FDA to be concerned about and to evaluate. Yeah. So that's the regulatory logic that I would apply here. So in that sense, John, there's nothing new here when it comes to the challenges of cybersecurity. If you understand the intent of regulation that we have or guidance that we have in other areas, the same regulatory logic applies here. Does that make sense, John? It does. And, you know, as I was doing a little bit of research and background on this particular topic, it seemed, go with me for a moment, quasi-political, at least. There's an organization, and I don't know that much about what, I'm familiar with the name, but I don't know that much about what they do, but there's an organization called the National Institute of Standards and Technology, or NIST, N-I-S-T, that seems to be jumping in on this topic of cybersecurity. And I saw that they, and this is a little bit dated, but folks will still include the link to this and the notes that accompany the show. But they had a call for position papers back in May and June on different aspects of cybersecurity. And then I noticed that when I was digging, the FDA had a response to the NIST call for papers and that sort of thing. So starting off this podcast, the article that caught my eye was clearly, you know, had some sort of executive order tied to it. So are we seeing some sort of political game here, do you think? Or maybe not so much? Well, we can't be naive here, John. I mean, obviously, politics infiltrates everything. 
And that's not necessarily a bad thing, but it is a fact of life. But specifically when it comes to NIST, and thank you for bringing this up, John, I put them under the same umbrella, if you will, as ISO, as ASTM, as Underwriters Labs. There's a number of organizations, some of them directly affiliated with the government, some not, that uh, develop standards, whether it comes to cybersecurity or biocompatibility or electrical safety or what have you. And so in a sense, John, one can view this as FDA sort of outsourcing, if you will, you know, developing a standard for cybersecurity, specifically of medical devices to an organization like NIST. And there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. And in a similar fashion, when FDA puts out, for example, a guidance, usually there's a period of time where FDA keeps the door open for any interested parties, whether it's a company or physicians or individuals to offer comments on that guidance. FDA in NIST is doing the same thing here. Yeah. So they put out this position paper, kind of like the position papers that we've talked about before under the topic of artificial intelligence, which as you remember, John, I've been quite public about this. I think FDA's approach to regulating AI, quite frankly, is back words, to put yeah. it politely. But there's absolutely no problem. And I think it's a good idea as these standards are developed for people to offer comments. As a matter of fact, John, to be clever, and I've done this many times before, oftentimes specific companies will have employees or representatives for of their companies serve on the panel of these organizations. It happens in ISO all the time. Are they doing that, John, for altruistic reasons? I doubt it. <laughs> Part of the reason why they're there, quite frankly, maybe one the most important reason why we're there there is so that those companies can influence yeah. how those standards are written. Yeah. So let's be honest, John, whether people want to talk about it, whether people want to admit it or not, these things happen. And I'll be honest, this is a strategy that I've advocated to many of the companies that I work with. You know, yeah. If you're working in an area that's a relatively new area, whether it's cybersecurity or something else, where there are not already existing standards, then why not volunteer to serve on a committee where you might have some input? as to how right. those standards are developed. Do you think that's a good idea, John? Or do you think that, to use one of your words in the past that you've used before, do you think this is somehow nefarious? And <laughs> yes, well, we'll just go with that. I think the influence piece is absolutely a part of it, for sure. I mean, let's be very candid. I mean, I'm a big fan of altruism, and I like the way that I do things, right? And so if both of those things could blend together, then let's make that the way of the land, so to speak. So I'm sure there's a parts of both of those sides are having an impact or influence, so to speak. But interestingly, these position papers that were called from NIST back in May-June timeframe, the buckets or the categories, the first one was criteria for designating critical software. The next one was an initial list of secure software development lifecycle standards, best practices, etc. Third one was guidelines outlining security measures that shall be applied to the federal government's use of critical software. Next item, initial minimum requirements for testing software source code. And then the last bucket or category was guidelines for software integrity chains and provenance. Now, as I read this, I'm like, none of this is new either. These should be standard operating procedures for companies that are developing products with cybersecurity and software is applicable. This is not new stuff. I agree with you, John. None of it is new to me. And actually, I would take it a step further. Much, if not all of what you just ticked off on that list, at a high level anyway, has really little to do with cybersecurity. Yeah. These are just general concerns across software. And to be honest with you, John, these are general concerns across all medical devices, whether exactly. they involve software or not. So yeah, not to be cynical, but one could easily ask the question, what is really new here? Right. 
And what is unique about cybersecurity that we don't share the same or similar challenges with other medical devices already? You know, one of the things that I've tried to stress in many of our previous conversations, John, is that we always have to look for similarities where no similarities seem to exist. And this is a skill that, quite frankly, a lot of people don't have, but it's a skill that you can develop in yourself if you just simply ask yourself the question, what similarities are there between cybersecurity and electrical safety and biocompatibility and so on and so on? And in that sense, you might be surprised at what you come up with. So let's try to make this as pragmatic as we can, John. One of the suggestions that I made already is a company working in a new area, like, for example, cybersecurity, from a strategic perspective, it does make sense to consider having a representative of your company serve on a committee, whether it's part of NIST or ISO or whatever it is to develop these standards. But can you think if somebody came to you, John, if a customer came to you and said, hey, we've got a device, we're a little concerned about cybersecurity, how can we avoid, minimize, or maybe ideally avoid the whole cybersecurity question? What advice would you say to them, John? How could they avoid it? Avoid it? I mean, knee-jerk reaction to that is, well, have a purely mechanical product. Yeah, I mean, exactly right, John. Um, What is the necessity of having your device be in communication with the outside world, whether it's the telephone, Wi-Fi, internet, Bluetooth, what have you? So my first response, because I get this question a lot, John, is, is there a real necessity for your device to hook up to the outside world? Let's be honest, John, we've had medical devices for a very, very long time, long before Al Gore invented the internet. (laughs) (laughs) And you're laughing, John, but I'm guessing that many in our audience probably don't even know who I'm referring to. There's two references in this podcast, at least to Johnny Carson and Al Gore inventing the internet that might be news to some people, but anyway. Yeah, unfortunately, John, I guess I am dating myself here. That's yeah. a not so sort of I knew I got both the jokes. I got both the yeah. references. So, <laughs> so we're both getting old. Stuff. How's that? But seriously, I mean, the question is, is there a legitimate reason why your device needs to be connected to the outside of the world? Right. If the answer to that question is yes, then by all means, we need to take cybersecurity into account for all the reasons that we've talked about earlier. But if the answer is no, or if the answer is not most of the time, in other words, usually when I ask that question, does your device need to get connected to the outside of the world? The first response is yes for update. So I say, okay, how about a compromise? Everybody wants to have, you know, 24 seven communication, but for a lot of medical devices, certainly not all, but for a lot of them, 24 seven is not necessary. So for the purposes of update, you know, can we this is going to sound very old-fashioned to you, John, but you know there is a certain beauty to the adage of keep it simple, sur- stupid. For that small period of time, when you want to offer a software update to your device, at that point, you connect it to the outside world. And then as soon as the update is complete, you disconnect it. This can be done either via software or fashioned hardware. You literally plug it into the wall, you get your update, you disconnect it, and then you're done. And that way, the only time that you have to worry about potential cybersecurity or other threats is during that short period of time that you're actually connected. The rest of the time, you don't have to worry about it. Now, will that apply to all medical devices? Absolutely not. There are many devices that we need to have in constant communication. But then again, John, there are a lot of other devices that don't need it. What do you think of that? Well, it's an interesting point. And I think a lot of times on this topic, at least your question, does it need to communicate with the outside world in some way, shape or form? We're 
always quick to think about the benefits of why it would do that, why I would want that for my product. I think maybe this is why topics like cybersecurity are things that you and I discuss from time to time, because we don't think about the risk or we don't give that as much credence as we should, because you just cited an example of maybe I don't need it to communicate with the outside world. And instead I could do this other approach or methodology to handle that scenario. And as a biomedical engineer, John, I often like to think about root cause. A lot of the root cause of these concerns and these aspects of medical device development comes down to psychology, comes down to our thinking, because all of us, myself included, have gotten used to having devices around us that are connected all the time, 24-7. We have texting all the time. We have email all the time. But when you think about it, John, how many people seem to have forgotten that not that long ago, we didn't have 24-7 communication? Is it really necessary to respond to an email from your boss at two o'clock in the morning? (laughs) (laughs) But you know what, John? Medical devices, most of them, not all of them, most of them are exactly the same way. way. So are you connecting your device to the rest of the world 24-7 out of necessity? If the answer is yes, then by all means do it. But if not, maybe you can avoid most, if not all of these problems with a much simpler, much less elegant or maybe more elegant solution. And that is don't have it communicate all the time. Yeah. I mean, it's really, I hadn't even thought of that, to be honest. So I appreciate that insight and that point of view. Keep it simple, stupid. Keep it simple. I mean, and yeah, I was a little tongue in cheek with when you asked me the question and I said a mechanical example, but to your point, I mean, it doesn't have to be a purely mechanical device. I just have to think about containing my product such that it's isolated from the communications, you know, and, you know, I mean, it's kind of a throwback way of thinking about a medical technology. I mean, the last time I was in a hospital, it's amazing to me how many products, devices, you know, in that setting have alarms and flashing lights. And, you know, you see the nurse's station with all the monitors and the telemetry data, and they have one with just like the patient blood pressure and the heart rate and all that going on. And then another one with video. It's just like, it's information overload. Well, that's a topic of a whole other conversation, John, when it comes to alarm fatigue and that, you know, maybe we can do another discussion about the problem with infusion pump and infusion pump alarms that happened about eight years ago or so that led to basically all of the usability testing requirements that we have for medical devices today. That's a topic of a whole different discussion. But when it comes to cybersecurity, you know, don't overlook the simplest, the most obvious solution. And that is don't have your device connected to the rest of the world if you don't have to. And if you do need to have your device connected to the rest of the world, does it need to be connected all the time? You mentioned, for example, John, in critical care environment where monitoring of patient information in real time is very important. And that's a particular example where you're probably going to need 24-7 communication. But I would argue, John, that relatively speaking, that's a small number of medical devices. A lot of other medical devices that need to share information, that need to transmit, for example, information that they collect from a patient at home to the doctor's office. They don't need to be connected 24-7. They might be able to transmit that data, say, once a day or once a week. For that period of time, you're connected then, and then for the rest of the time, you're disconnected. Don't overlook the simplest and most obvious solution to a lot of these problems. That's my point here. Well, and I think that's good for those listening. You know, when you're designing and developing your product, consider the simplest solution to accomplish the means and the objective that you're seeking for your product. There's multiple different ways to do this on all the time. It might sound the most convenient and the most appealing from a use case perspective. And on this topic, especially cybersecurity, it's going to be the riskiest 
endeavor. So do you have, back to what we started this conversation with, does your product have financial data, credit card information, et cetera? Do you have patient health information? Do you have details about the functioning of your product that impact safety or other things, you know? So all on all the time is going to expose your product in a way that nefarious people, to bring my word back, might be out there figuring out the back doors and ways to hack into your product to get all of that information. Absolutely. I agree with you, John. And take this one step further. And then I think we could to, to wrap up our conversation here with maybe a few final thoughts and recommendations. But when it comes to safety, as you and I have talked about before, John, the flip side of safety is a topic that both of us are very interested and involved with, and that is risk. So any medical device that does not take into account risks associated with cybersecurity threats. Now, again, let's not be overly broad here. I'm not talking about identity theft. I'm not talking about HIPAA issues. I'm talking about specific risks like, for example, somebody hacking into the vice president's pacemaker, right? That right. is literally a risk. Any company that does not have that as part of their risk management plan as an identified risk and whatever potential measures are in place to minimize the risk and the associated harms that might result from that risk. In my opinion, John, and this is going to sound harsh, but I think most of your audience probably knows me by now, those people should not be in that business. Yeah. You know, it's as simple as that. If you can't anticipate if your device is sending information out via the internet or the telephone or whatever it is, it doesn't matter. If you don't anticipate the potential risk of somebody else sending information back in the opposite direction, you shouldn't be in this business. Yeah. It's I, just common sense. It stands to reason. Right? Yeah. So you need to identify those potential risks and you need to, you mentioned the mechanical analogy, John. I don't want to get into the details of how we can do this, but we need a software check valve, if you will. We need a lot to allow the flow to go in one direction, but not to the other direction. Or if the flow does go back in the other direction, we need to have some sort of, again, to use a mechanical metaphor here, some sort of a valve or a venturi or something like that in place, right. maybe a filter to allow the good stuff to get through, but not to allow the bad stuff. Yeah. All of that has to be in your risk management plan, among other things as well. Would you agree, John? Totally agree. And I, good news is the position paper from FDA on this topic, I think does a decent job of talking about that case and they call it science-driven security testing and they don't elaborate a lot of details, but the gist of at least what I picked up is exactly what you just described. So I'm encouraged from that perspective, you know, FDA is like, yes, this is what you need to do med device company on this topic of cybersecurity. But I know it seems like it should be common sense and logical, but that's again- Common sense is not as common as we would like to think that it is yeah. sometimes. Present company excluded. Of course, we're not talking <laughs> about anybody in our audience here. We're talking about the other people that are not listening to right. us. And by the way, I like using metaphors. I like looking in other areas for inspiration. You made the comment earlier that nothing is new here. I would actually take that to a much further extreme. Anybody that knows something about basic biology, what we're talking about here is the concept of a cell membrane, a semi-permeable membrane that basically allows certain things to go through and it prevents other things from going through or the meninges, the blood-brain barrier that surrounds your central nervous system. So there's tremendous amount of inspiration, if you will, around the world that surrounds us. We just have to go out and look for it. That's all. Yeah, absolutely. Mike, any other tips, pointers, practical advice that you think is worth sharing with listeners on the topic of cybersecurity before we wrap things up today? So just to recap what I thought were some of the highlights of today's discussion, and feel free, John, to add anything that I may have missed. Always think about cybersecurity if you have a device that is connected to the outside of the world. But remember, limit at least your cybersecurity concerns to the FDA 
today's sense of cybersecurity, not identity theft, not HIPAA, not even efficacy so much, but those things directly related or could be related to the safety of your device. Include that in your risk management plan, as well as the measures that you plan to institute to mitigate the harms associated with those risks. Consider the possibility if you're working in an area where standards have not been developed or are in the process of being developed, serving on a committee, whether it's through NIST or a different organization, so that you can A, understand the standards that are being developed, and B, have influence as to how those standards will be developed in the future to benefit your product and perhaps to challenge your competitors. That This happens all the time. And the third point I was going to make now, John, maybe you can help me out because it just slipped my mind. Here's the main take that I took from this conversation is if you think cybersecurity has to apply to your product, just take a step back, reconsider, think about exactly the need, the interaction that your product has at point of use. And, you know, if you say it has to be on all the time communicating with the outside world, does it? Maybe it doesn't. Maybe there are some safeguards and some controls you can put in place with your product so that it's not exposed or minimizes the exposure from cyber security threats. So keep it simple as you possibly can. So just reconsider, just think about it. You know, there, of course, as Mike mentioned, there are plenty of examples of products and technologies that do need to be on all the time because of the nature of their use. But I would say the vast majority of medical devices probably don't. So weigh those benefits with those risks and make sure that you're being robust, thorough, and complete with the design and development of your products to address those scenarios. That was precisely my third point, John. Thank you for reminding us. <laughs> all right. Well, Mike, I'm glad we had an opportunity to talk a little bit about this topic. You know, I don't honestly spend that much time thinking about or reading about cybersecurity. So in preparation for and during the discussion today, there's lots of little nuggets that I picked up. And, you know, I think this is an important, you know, keep the frame of mind appropriate. Make sure that as it relates to FDA, that I'm, my focus is about the safety, you know, in alignment with the mission or the objectives of the FDA too. So bear that in mind. And, and the very last thing that I would yeah. share, John, and then we can wrap this up. It's a recurring theme through a lot of our discussions, whether it comes to cybersecurity or any of the other kind of testing. Please don't follow what so many in these industries seem to do, and that is the ticking boxes on a form. Yeah. You know, because the whole purpose of thinking about whether it's cybersecurity or biocompatibility or anything. I hate to harp on this, John, but I just had a conversation with one of my customers just earlier today where, you know, what are the boxes on the form that we need to take? And this particular company was doing, you know, some ISO testing that I asked them, how is it applicable to their device? And they said, it's not applicable. And I said, well, why are you doing it? And they said, because it's on the form. Uh, it's like, yeah. oh my gosh. So whether it comes to cybersecurity or anything else, please think first, you know, <laughs> does it make sense? If it makes sense, then do it. If it doesn't make, don't do it. But somehow, John, and I know I'm preaching to the choir, but we need to get past this ticking boxes on a form mentality, which, you know, I don't want to over-stereotype here because it doesn't affect everybody, but it seems to permeate a lot of our industry today, which is not necessarily yeah. a good thing. I think it's worth reminding folks, you know, we're in this business to improve the quality of life and ticking boxes on the form for things that don't apply to your product is not aligned with that. So think about that intelligently. So Mike, I always appreciate the opportunity to catch up and talk about hot topics in our industry. Cybersecurity is not new, but something that is starting to bubble up for who knows, probably a lot of reasons, but certainly a topic that I think folks need to think twice about and not just tick that box and move forward. So folks, I also want to thank you all for being loyal listeners and watchers now of the Global Medical Device Podcast. So thank you. You're keeping us as the number one podcast in the medical device industry. Continue to spread the word to your friends and coworkers and colleagues and 
until next time, this is your host and founder at Greenlight Guru, John Spear, and you have been listening and probably watching the Global Medical Device Podcast. Thank you.